0: This is an exciting season in the life of our church. Over the past five years, Grace Life has grown by an average of 33% each year. We've had to rent multiple spaces in this warehouse park and now have expanded to three services on Sunday mornings. When you walk in here, there's just such a a genuine feeling. And there was no, okay, well, we don't have to go to church. We're like, okay, when is, you know, when's the next service and kept coming? The things that we leave with, We use it throughout the week and we come back with those aha moments like we got it. Grace Life has a great legacy of seeing lives changed. And if we want to continue having this impact, I personally believe, and the leaders of Grace Life believe, God is calling us to take a crucial step. And that is to build our first permanent home. So together, let's be involved, let's pray, let's give, and we will reach our world. who's excited about that so before we jump into anything else let me highlight the announcement you just saw because the time at the bottom was different and i want to make sure you know what the correct time is and for those of you that have never been the first step you don't really probably know what time it's supposed to be anyway so i'm just going to highlight this for all of us tonight at 4 30 p.m we're starting an hour early today who knows why Super Bowl, Woo, you guys are smart, see here's the thing, in the years past has been somebody like the Giants playing the Redskins or something, actually I'm not even sure the Redskins ever made it to a Super Bowl, but, uh, and nobody cared, so we would just go right on with first step, people would come, it'd be great, but the home team is actually in the Super Bowl, how, is it, how exciting is that, you guys ready for that, yeah? I am really glad that you guys do not clap nearly as loud for the home team as you do for Jesus, that, that was... If that had been louder, we'd have had to change the sermon up on you this morning. But uh, So anyway, we're going to move it to 4.30 because I too would like to see the game and I'd like to attend the Super Bowl party that I'm throwing in my own house. So It'd be good if I were there on time. And uh, with that being said, this is part two of a series that we kicked off last week called Reach Our World. And uh, there's kind of a twofold purpose to this series. The first part of it is to help us understand, I truly believe God wants you to have an impact with your life, with the people that are around you. God wants you to reach your world. And then as a church, how does God want us to do that? I believe God wants to increase our ability to reach our world, to continue having the impact that we've had. So all throughout this series, we're going to be answering more questions about the what, the why, the when, and the how of the video that you just saw. And I want to go ahead and point out, if you were here last week, you know that that was only a few seconds of a video that really lasts about 10 minutes and tells you a lot more of what we're doing. If you weren't here last week, I'd ask you to do two things. First of all, go back and watch the message from last week. It it sets the foundation for everything we're talking about over these six weeks. The second one is on our website. We have a website for what we're doing right now, a page on our site. You can go to gracelife.me forward slash reachourworld, or you can just go to the website, you'll find it. And it's got all of the information about what we're doing, when we're doing it, how we're doing it. And it also has that video there from last week you can watch. And I encourage you, share that on social media. Let other people that are are a part of Grace Life, maybe weren't here last week or, or traveling or something like that, let them know what God is doing. You see, here's the truth. If we want to keep having an impact, we've got to do something about this. It's what we talked about last week. We are growing and we're growing fast. Do you guys know that? Yeah, good. I'm glad you know that. We started last year with about uh, 325 people. This year, we just finished January averaging 510 people. And if we keep growing at that rate, well, here's the truth. We can't keep growing at that rate. Look around you. Where are we going to put 200 people this year? It's just not going to happen. And, and so already we're saying, hey, please come to the noon service, and, and there's a few seats left there, and, and let's make plans for what God has for us because honestly we're already behind in terms of what God would have us do next. You, you heard the statistic of how much we've grown each year over the last five years. Also during those five years, we've seen 182 people go out to the blue tent and say they're making Jesus their king for the first time. How cool is that? Yep. And you know... If 182 people actually said that happened, you know how many more are, are a little more private about what God's doing in their lives, and they didn't go to the tent and tell anyone. We also had 112 baptisms over the last five years during this time. Last week, we kicked off our small group cycle. It's the largest small group cycle with the most people involved that we've ever had. God is doing amazing things, and I'm, I'm excited to be a part of it, and I want to see him continue to be able to do that. So as we're talking about how to increase your impact, we're also talking about Grace lives. And and so for us, our situation is very simple. We're running out of space. We're running out of time of the day to meet and to do other things. And so what we need to do if we want to keep reaching people is make some changes, which will include building our first permanent home. But it will also remove some barriers. And and here's one of them. Do you know over the last month I've been talking to a lot of people about this in in smaller settings and kind of asking what their thoughts are. And it's amazing the number of people that are uh, concerned about going to church in a warehouse park right? And, and the first time that they came, it took one spouse talking to the other spouse to actually get out of the car, promising them it's, it's not as bad as you think it is. Let's go give it a try, honey. You never, you never know what's on the inside. Well, actually, that's the scary part. <laughs> you never know what's on the inside. And the truck tires out front and everything kind of scary as it is. We know that our kids' facilities, half of them used to be closets. We've turned into nurseries. Our, our kids' wing over in the other building is in the other building, so rain or sleet or shine or whatever who knows you know so the point is we know God is taking us to something else and so what I would ask you to do is to be here as much as possible for the next four weeks be a part of what we're talking about learn more about how we're going to do this hear more of the vision and understand that together so this is part two of six got four more to go do me a favor do your best to try and be here if for whatever reason you end up sick and you can't quite make it please go online and and catch up is that is that okay for me to ask Everybody on board, who's excited? Yeah. Pretty awesome. Last week we began the series talking about vision and and the idea that God has a very clear vision for your life. When he made you, he didn't just throw you down to earth and say, let's see what he does with himself. Let's see what she does with herself. But God made you for a very specific purpose. He has a vision for your life. And we talked about how you can go and seek God and get that vision. I will tell you that you're not always going to get a lifelong vision in an hour. If if you're asking God, what is the vision for my day? You might get that in a few minutes. If you're asking God, what is the vision for the next year of your life or the next five years? You may get that in a couple days. But if you're seeking God right now for a vision that might be for your entire life, a major direction change or something, it may take you more than just last week alone to discover that vision. If you need to hear more about how to get a vision, go back in here last week. We're going to pick up where we left off, which is talking about what comes next. Okay, so if you get a vision from God, you're probably going to be asking this question. How do I make it reality? If you're in a place where you can finally say, I think I know what God wants me to do with my life. I think I know what God wants me to do with my year. I think I know what God wants me to do with my business or whatever that is. You have to say, how do I make that a reality? And God gave me a vision for what I'm doing right now when I was 16 years old. He told me as clear as day, this is what I would do for a living. And and for those of you that don't know my story, I have not been doing this since I was 16. I haven't been doing it since I was 18, nor 20, nor 25, nor 30, nor 35. And it was actually two decades after God showed me the vision for me to be doing this before I walked into the vision that he had actually given me. Because sometimes we we get to a point, we wonder if we even heard God right. We wonder if that vision is actually from him or did I make up that idea? The vision may be so far off, we wonder why in the world, God, if this is from you, why is this so difficult to see it come to pass? And sometimes it's our own problems. We're gonna talk about what some of those could be today. For me, if anyone who knew me between the years of like 16 and 30, heard that I was pastoring a church they would be deeply concerned for every one of you there's a reason I wasn't pastoring a church during those years because of my character my own problems the way that I responded to people around me I thought everybody else was just a problem I thought I was pretty cool if you're one of those people and everybody else is the problem guess what they're not it's you and I can share my story with anyway back to the point it, it, we, we just get to a place where we wonder what's going on. The good news, though, is, of course, in my life, God was working through that season, and he was changing my life and doing something. And so when we try to discover this, I told you last week that once you get a vision for your life, hold on, because the enemy will oppose you. If you really say, today I will get up and do what God has for my life, I will be the person God's created me to be to impact the people around me, the enemy will oppose you. And that's where we left off. I didn't tell you this part because it's where we're going to pick up today. Yes, the enemy will oppose you, and God will test you. God will test you. Why would God test us? I mean, isn't God the one that wants us to succeed at this? Why would God put us into a position of being tested? And so last week we were talking about a guy named Abraham and the vision God had given him that he would be a father of multitudes. He'd be a father of nations and through him and his offspring, there would be nations upon nations would be blessed. And the problem, though, with this vision is that he was very old and his wife was barren. They were old enough to be grandparents or great grandparents and they don't have a child. And she wasn't able to have a child. How is this vision going to come to pass? Well, an unstoppable supernatural God showed up and he did what he needed to do. The problem is that's not where the story ended. He had vision. God did a miracle. And then comes the test. I'm going to read a pretty significant in length passage to you here to set the stage. If you'll just read along with me here. It says, After these things God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, And He said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac. Do you remember that vision I gave you? That you would be a father to many, many nations and you couldn't have a child on your own. Your wife couldn't have a child. The only way you were going to have one is through a miracle. And I did that miracle. Remember that one? Yeah, I want you to take him. The kid that you were about 75 years old, most people think he was about 75 years old when God spoke to him and and told him what he would do, gave him the vision. But then he was was closer to 100. He had to wait over two decades to actually see the kid born. And now this kid is old enough to walk, as we're gonna see in a minute, and and he's, he's an adolescent, so he's probably somewhere around 10 or 12 years old. So we think Abraham at this point is about 110, 112. It's a little late in life to be starting over again, and yet God calls him. And challenges him, take your son, your only son, your only chance, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. That's kind of weird, isn't it? So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. I think we could actually preach an entire message on the fact that it did take Abraham a week to do that, a month to do that, or three years to do it. God spoke, and the next morning, he's gone. That's powerful. On the third day of the journey, Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he saw the place from afar. And then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship, and we'll come again to you. And Abraham took the the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took In his hand, the fire and the knife. And so they they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. He said, here I am, my son. And he said, well, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? (laughs) Oh, if only this kid knew. (laughs) Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so they went, both of them, together. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Do you know how much of this story has got to be left out at this point? I mean, we don't get any of Isaac's dialogue, and I'm pretty sure this kid was not silent. He's got to be talking. I mean, this kid's going to need counseling for the rest of his life over this one moment. He is not sitting there quietly. Then Abraham reached out his hand and he took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld. Seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. So back to the question. The question that we're asking that we really want to know, which is why would God ask Abraham to sacrifice his son? Why would God test him? You know what question I think we really want to know? Why does God test us? I mean, seriously, Abraham's old and dead. We really probably don't care as much. We want to know why we go through the experiences we go through. And this is really incredibly simple, is God does that to let us see if we're fully surrendered to him, to let us see. You see, when God tests someone, he's not looking for the answer. God already knows the answer. God doesn't say, "Gee, I wonder what's going to happen, because I have no idea. That's not the God we serve. Our God knows. Our God doesn't learn things. He's not confused, waiting to see what we're going to do. He knows, but he needs us to know because we think we've got it all together. If I were to ask you right now, if a, if a gunman runs into the room, how many of you would, would throw yourself in front of your family? And we'd all go, yes, me. All right, well, let's have a gunman run into the room and see how many of you scurry under chairs, you know? I mean, we think we know the answers sometimes to who we are and what we're going through. God tests us. And before God is going to let you live out a vision of impact, I just need you to know this. Before God is going to let you live out a life that is greatly powerful and impactful in His kingdom, He's got to find out if you're even surrendered to Him. And He's going to make sure that you are. And so I'm going to go ahead and try to soften the blow of the message a little bit by telling you, I I want to talk to you today about finding out if we are surrendered to God. And, And so I'm going to go through a couple of things that that will be challenging and if you're perfectly already surrendered and and you're just the most amazing person on the planet then today's message will be easy but if you're human like the rest of us and you've still got an area to grow in I'm going to step on some toes and something's going to hurt a little bit so if I tell you that up front will it help you well at least nobody got up and walked out yet so I think there are four reasons Four things in our lives God is trying to show us when he tests us. The first one is this. God wants to be first. God wants to be first. It's simply a question of priority. Who is first? What is first? What matters to you most in your life? You see, if we aren't careful, we will let God's gifts to us, like life, our very lives, or the blessings that God gives us, the things that God gives us. How about this? We will let the vision that God gives us become the most important thing in our lives. And we will let everything else take priority over God. And so that is the question. Is God first? And so here's, here's some simple little things you can think through. How about your time and your schedule? Is God first in your time and your schedule? We have a busy world. I think everybody would say that there is more to do than can be done. Right? Right? All right. Not an overwhelming response. Those of you that have too much time and not enough to do drop by the office tomorrow. We've got lots of stuff for volunteers who are just bored with life. Let's try this again. How many people have too much to do and will never get it all done? Yeah. And so the first thing we have to do is start to look at our lives and we cut something. And here's the question. What gets cut first? When your day is too busy When you know you're already behind, you get up late and you've got to get to work and you've got a project or some presentation, project doing school or presentation do at work or a big meeting or whatever, and something gets cut, what gets cut? Is it our time with God? Do we skip maybe reading the Bible or maybe praying? What gets cut? When you look at your routine throughout the week, And you're as busy as can be Monday through Friday. And then Saturday, your relaxing day, people invite you to like three kids' birthday parties, a wedding shower, a baby shower. And then you got to fix something that was broken you didn't have time to fix through the week. And so by the the end of your day on Saturday, you just finally need to crash. What gets cut? Worshiping God. Or maybe you're just overwhelmed in life and you just, man, I've got so much going on. There's just not enough time for everything. I've got to stop doing some of the things I do. Do you stop coaching little league or do you stop leading a small group? My experience has been we stop leading small groups or we stop leading something where we're making a difference in people's lives or we stop serving or volunteering. We, we give up where we need the most, which is with God. How about this one? Is he first in your thinking? I mean, our world is incredibly loud. Think about what goes on in your mind. Is God the first in your thinking? Is he the first in your perspective? When something happens to you, do you immediately say, this is what happened, this is what I know, and this is the way it was? Or do you go, God, what, what did you see there? You know, God, my perspective might be a little off. What do you think about that? What about the things that we struggle with up here that we think no one else knows? We're, matter of fact, Hopefully no one else does know, and we're glad that no one else knows because we know that what we're thinking up here isn't quite right with what God would want us thinking about all the time. Is he first In our thinking, do you allow things in your mind that separate you from him? Is he first in your relationships? Are there people in your life that you know God has said, stop? These people are taking you further from me, not bringing you closer. How about this one? Is he first in your budget? I think everybody once again would agree we have more month than we do money, right? And what gets cut? If you are wondering, what do I need to work on to make God first in my life? Let me help you with this. Just answer this question. Which one of those topics were you most uncomfortable with when I was talking? Now you know where you can go work, right? You see, God wants to be first. He doesn't want to be second. He doesn't want to be third. He doesn't want to be last. If you've ever noticed the way God sets up some things, he always ends up being first. Think about this. This is why Jesus started his day in prayer. Before any other person, before any other event, before the sun, scripture even tells us, so that God will be first. This is why a tithe is the first 10% before the bills. This is why a soul has faith before they've ever seen anything take place. Because God wants to be first. God doesn't want to come after everything else. He wants to be first in your life. The second thing that God wants to show us about ourselves, whether or not we're surrendered, is, is God wants to be God. See, this is the question of authority. Who is God in your life? Who's God in your life? See, we're struggling to answer because you all know the right answer, but we all know the right answer is gonna get us in trouble because I think everybody here knows that they cannot say God is fully God 100% of the time. There's never a time where I assert what I want over him. See, here's, this is simple. Who's in charge? Is it God or is it you? And we can ask some questions like this. When was the last time that you confronted your will for the sake of his? When was the last time you did what you know God would say you should do? When was the last time you did what his word says despite what you wanted to do or felt like doing? Think about it this way. When was the last time that you forgave someone? When you really wanted to strangle them and hide their body in the janitorial closet. Come on, y'all know what, I counsel you. I didn't make that up, I know. When was the last time you gave and you wanted to keep it? When was the last time, I lost my list, that you worshiped when you wanted to sleep in? When was the last time you did for another, but you didn't want to, you'd rather another do it for you? That'll tell you who's in charge. Is the last time you allowed your will to be challenged and you gave in. This will tell you who the authority is. How often you do what God says despite what you want. How about this? God wants us to find out number three, He wants to be worshiped. You see, this is the question of dedication. What is your life dedicated to? What gets your attention? What gets your affection? And if you were here a few months back, it was at the end of last year, we did a series on worship, and I'm not going to go back and touch on all of that, but I'll say this once again, and if you don't believe this sentence, go back and hear that series. Worship is not a song that we sing in here. The song we sing in here is a small part of your worship. Worship is not coming to church services. Coming to church services is a small part of your worship. But everything that you do, everything you think, everything that you say, the way you live your life, every moment of every day, that is actually what worship is. And so here's the way this works. Whatever is first, whoever is your authority, and whatever you're dedicated to will become your object of worship. And it all really comes down to this little passage about worship out of Romans 12. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, I urge you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And we've been reading this passage for as long as we've been reading the Bible probably, so you may have lost the the surprise context of those words when they were first said. There's no such thing as a living sacrifice. You see, a sacrifice was an animal that you killed. And you killed it and put it on the altar, and then it was burned, and that was what made it a sacrifice. There's no such thing as a living sacrifice. When these words were written for for the people who had always known the old scriptures before the New Testament was written, what what is that? How do you be a living sacrifice? That's confusing to me. And, And the point is that every single day we're dying to our will, to our way, to our wants, to our things so that we can live to his. It's being a living sacrifice. But here's the problem with being a living sacrifice. It tends to crawl back off the altar. We do it every day, don't we? We go to church. We hear a good message. We're a little challenged. But by Monday, well, some of you, the good ones, you make it to Tuesday. But by Tuesday, you're like, oh, forget that. I'm going to blow my horn at this person. I'm cutting them off in traffic. I'm tired of that. Put up people's first stuff. Pastor said put up people first. He obviously hadn't driven around here. He doesn't know what they're talking about. He said pray for my boss. That's because he never met my boss. If he met my boss. He would be helping me strategize how to kill him and bury him in the janitorial closet. Right? Living sacrifices, they crawl off the altar. The problem with a living sacrifice is it wants to live instead of die. I mean, think about it. Abraham, what was the first thing he did to Isaac? Tied him up. And then after he tied him up, he got ready to kill him. Because he couldn't make him a sacrifice until he was dead, and he couldn't kill him until he was was bound. And he had to do this thing. Don't worry, son. God's got you covered. He's going to provide a lamb. Hey, by the way, can you turn around and put your hands together? Sure, Dad. Why not? (laughs) Let me think. Y'all, that's just funny. (laughs) Got to read Scripture there. You got to wonder what Abraham's thinking at this point. Ask yourself this question. Can I sincerely say, God, more than any part of life, matter of fact, more than life itself, all I want is that you be glorified through my life. Now we all know what we'd like to say, sure. But the answers to our other questions will really tell us the true answer. The fourth thing that God tests us for is this. God wants you to be blessed so that he can bless others through you. And this is the question of giving. So let's finish the story. This is where we left off. It says, And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this, what? You surrendered. You surrendered and not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. And he could have stopped right there. And that would have been wonderful. And it would have been an amazing blessing. Except God tells him why he's doing all of that for him. It is not just for him. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because you have obeyed my voice. Because you have surrendered your life. Because you didn't just get the vision and I showed up and did a miracle. And then you said, well, I've got to live for the vision. I'm going to do the vision. But you said, I'll tell you what, I'll take the vision and I'll put it on the altar because I've got to surrender to you. You see, we all want a life of meaning in God's kingdom, right? We all want a life where we say, I know what the vision is that God has for my life. And I know that that has meaning and it has power and it has purpose. And here's the problem. God is never going to let us have that powerful uh, vision lived out in his kingdom when we're still living in our kingdom. We have to surrender first. You have to be willing to give it all up, walk away, and say, only for you, God. You have to be fully surrendered. He will test us so that we can see what is the value of the blessings that he gives us. Once you're blessed, is God still your priority? Once you're blessed, is God still your authority? Once you're blessed, is God still the object of your devotion? Once you're blessed, you see, will we share the blessing or keep it for ourselves? Here's the truth you need to know that if you're going to keep the whole blessing for yourself, it'll stop coming. Because God didn't give all of what you have to you for you. He always did it. You know, the funny thing is when people call up, hey, pastor, does the church have money to give away? My next door neighbor needs some food. You don't know where a grocery store is? They're your next door neighbor. I mean, yeah, we do. We can help out on that. But you also live next door to them. You know, God has put it on your heart. God has given you something. Go and do something for those that are right around you. I mean, think about this. When we write a will, by the way, if you're in here this morning and your kids are sitting beside you, you don't have to raise your hand or nod. But when you write your will, you have to create a trustee. You have to put it in in someone's hands to actually make this happen. Which kid do you choose if you've got more than one? If you only got one kid, you can't even play along. You can't play the game. But if you've got more than one kid... You know, in the old days, tradition would say you give it to the firstborn. The firstborn son becomes the executor of the state. They're they're the ones who says who gets what. Because all you did was put some on paper. But once you're dead, the real authority belongs to that person. Who did you choose? Who do you choose? We choose the kid we trust to share. I mean, seriously. You don't leave your will in the hands of your most stingy kid. The other ones are never getting a thing. You put your stuff in the hands of the person who's gonna share it. I wanna close by helping us with the obvious questions that are in front of us this morning. What does this have to do with me? Well, God tests us with the things that are most important in life to find out it, to let us find out, are we surrendered to him? Or do those things mean more to us than he does? Priority, authority, devotion, and giving. Chances are, every person in this room needs to become more surrendered in at least one of those. I'm sure the Holy Spirit's already told you which one, or two, or three. Second question What does this have to do with grace life and this whole reach our world idea? Well, we need to realize we're blessed. We're blessed. Do you know that? We're blessed. We're blessed because we already know Him. We're blessed because our eternal destiny has already been changed. We're blessed to know that that is the most important thing in the world and nothing else matters. We're blessed enough to be given so much that we have enough to share with others. And we have enough to give to make sure that others come to know Him as well. What we do with our time and what we do with our money what we do with our lives will truly determine our ability to reach our world. So I'm going to close by challenging you. If you haven't been challenged enough, I'm going to challenge you with what I call the two choices. The reality of the two choices. And it goes like this. The first, if there is no God, then you are welcome to be your own and you owe no one anything. Or choice two, if there is a God who actually gave his life for me, and actually blesses me, then I owe Him everything. And I need to surrender fully for the sake of His name. Because here's the truth. The extent of our surrender will determine the extent of our impact. Can I say that again? The extent of our surrender will determine the extent of our impact. Amen. I want to close by talking to those in the room who have never even begun to surrender. Everyone today, I challenged you in how much you've surrendered and what areas you've surrendered. But some of us are still back at the very beginning saying, no, 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 no. I don't want to do this whole Jesus thing. Somebody's drugged you to church a time or two, or maybe even the Holy Spirit's dragging you. You came on your own and but you still have never surrendered. You've never got to that point where you you actually just stop looking at people in the room and you just kind of look through time and you look at Jesus hanging on the cross and say, because you died for me, I will live for you. If you've never done that, I wanna help you do that here this morning. I'm just gonna walk you through a conversation, the beginning of a conversation you'll have for the rest of your lives. If you would, would you pray with me? Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus. I thank you that you died for me, that I would have life. I thank you for your love, your mercy, and your forgiveness. And my prayer today is that you will give me a life of great meaning and great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Amen. If you prayed just now, making Jesus the king of your life, we would love to help you on that journey you're taking. Somewhere on the back of the row in front of you, there's a blue connection card, and you can indicate what God is doing in your life today. And if you'll take that blue card to the blue tent and give that to someone there, they'll pray with you, give you a Bible, whatever they can do to help you. A couple of things that I I forgot to mention. One is last week on the way in, Or last week, we tried to make sure everyone got a brochure telling them more about uh, the Reach Our World and what we're doing with that, more of the questions that you need answered. If you didn't get one of those, we tried to give them out on the way in, but please try to grab one on your way out. In just a moment, the ushers are going to pass buckets with little books, and those books are devotionals. It's something that you can pray through and read through every day while we're doing this series to help you grow closer to God and understand the impact that He wants to have for your life. So right now, if you will stand to your feet, we're gonna worship our God, we're gonna give back to him because he has given so much to us. Ushers, go ahead. Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash me and on Twitter at gracelifechurch.